Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey Connect, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris, I get to serve on the team here, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us today because today we're kicking off a new series, and I'll tell you all about that in just a moment, but first I gotta ask you a question. Have you ever seen the trailer to a movie, been super pumped to see it, you get your friends together, you go watch it, and then you kinda walk away confused and disappointed because the plot didn't make sense? You couldn't track with the characters through the story. Anyone had an experience like that? You know what can also kind of stir up a similar experience? Reading the Bible. I remember when I came to Jesus and decided to follow him, I was eager to read the Bible. So what I did is I got up early before I'd have to normally get up to get ready for school, get up a little extra early so that I could read the Bible. I wanted to know God more, so I I read his word. And I love reading the Gospels. The Gospels are great. They're all about Jesus, and that was fun to read. I also enjoyed Paul's letters because Paul's a pretty practical guy, pretty logical guy. I could track with his writing to these churches, you know, early churches, and I loved reading those. But when I would come to, like, the law and the prophets in the Old Testament— it just like seemed to go right over my head. It just didn't click. And I didn't leave feeling like, oh, I want to I read more of that. Because the, the, the truth is, reading the Bible can be confusing at times. It, it's written by over 40 authors in three different languages. And what that means is what made sense to them a couple thousand years ago doesn't immediately make sense to us, at least not at first glance. We don't understand their world that they were living in, unless you have a ton of history in your, your background. Uh, there are other things that can make the Bible seem a little confusing, too. It's long, like really long. It's, this is 66 books in total. You got 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and what is, what's a testament anyways, right? Like, it's a, it's a long book. And it's written by all these different authors. Authors. It's got a bunch of different literary forms. Historical narrative, law, poetry, wisdom, moral teachings. It covers like the gamut. And when you do read it, you'll come across places like Laodicea. Where's that? Or... Names like Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Like, you don't want to volunteer to read in group that week. Trust me. (laughs) And yet, the Bible encourages us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then in, in Hebrews 4, we read, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, there's no other book like the Bible. And we want to read it. We want to understand it. And when we set out to do so on our own, sometimes, if we're honest, we kind of leave discouraged, disappointed. 
maybe a little deflated, because it didn't click, it didn't make sense like we were hoping. Uh, one of the most helpful things that I remember from my time at Denver Seminary was our study of the meta-narrative of the Bible. It's like the overarching story of Scripture. And we talked about it again and again in our classes. And what I found is that as I understood the overarching story of Scripture better and better, I, I found I could understand the parts in the passages of Scripture better. So what we're going to do is over the next couple of months, we're going to read, we're not going to read, we're going to talk about the entire Bible from the very beginning all the way through the end, Genesis to Revelation. We're not going to be able to read everything, not even come close to that. But my hope is that if you will join us for this series at the end of it, you will have a much better understanding of the meta-narrative of Scripture, the story of God and how God wants to intersect your story. Because here's the deal. The spoiler alert is that that's what the Bible's all about. It's the story of God and how he wants to intersect our story. So we're calling this series Epic, When the Story of God Intersects Your Story. Because there is nothing like reading the Bible. And while the Bible is complete, the story of God is not yet finished. Because God is still speaking, he is still moving, he is still engaging with people, people like you and me, and when he does, it is nothing short of epic, pun intended. So, what do you say? Why don't we start in the beginning? And let's see what the story of God has to teach us about how he wants to move in our lives and intersect our story. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to the very beginning. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is where we're going to be today. And you can follow along there. You can also follow along in our church app. The church app will be a great resource, great tool to have throughout this series because we've got study guides there and a bunch of other resources throughout the series. So if you don't have the app, get the app. Just a helpful tool for you. It's totally free, okay? It's just a helpful tool for you. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 sets the stage for the story of God. And in so doing, in Genesis 1 and 2, we actually see the answer to some of life's biggest questions. Questions like, who is God? Who are we? Now, before we could answer such questions, we should pause, we should pray, and let's ask that God speak to us as we open his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it does document your story. Thank you that it's more than just moral teachings in, in Proverbs, in Psalms. It's, it's more than all of that. It's truly your story and how you want to intersect ours. And we just ask that you would do that very thing. Even today at the outset of the series, would you encounter each and, one, each and every one of us? And would you speak to us personally about what you want to do in and through our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever we study the Bible, it's important to understand the context in which the passage was originally written. The reason is, it will help us understand what was said to the people who first heard it, all right? In the case of Genesis 1 and 2, God inspired Moses to write this, but he did it at a really unique time in history. You see, the Israelites had been, we'll come to find they are the people of God, they had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, which means they just were immersed in the Egyptian worldview and their religious beliefs, the whole deal. So when God had Moses pen Genesis through Deuteronomy, actually the first five books of the Bible, he was doing it with a purpose in mind. He, God needed to reframe his people's idea of who he is because they were just all wrapped up in the Egyptian worldview. But 
that wasn't exactly true. And God wanted to kind of right the ship and reframe the Israelites' perspective. So Moses wrote, starting with what we're about to read. So let's just start. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All too often, what we'll do is when we read Genesis 1, we get really consumed with how creation came about. But when we do that, we actually risk focusing on and recognizing the, the primary thrust of this passage. We could debate uh, all the different theories about how everything we see came to be. Old Earth, Young Earth, Theistic Evolution, Day-Age Theory, Six-Day Creation, all the, there's a bunch of, it's fun, it'd be a fascinating conversation to have. But when we go there first, what we actually do is we try to major in the minors. And when we major in the minors, we're at risk of failing to major in the majors. Because you see, the primary thrust of Genesis 1 isn't the how, it's the who. It's the who behind it all. So, who is this who? Who's the author of the story? Who's the hero? Who's the subject? Well, the subject of the first sentence is the subject of the whole story. God. In contrast to the popular opinion of the day, the ancient Near Eastern beliefs, in contrast to that, there is one God in three persons, and we see each person present in creation. One of uh, uh, Jesus' closest friends and followers, John, we just spent all last fall going through his gospel, his biography on Jesus' life. John started that biography in a very similar way to Genesis one, see if this sounds just a little familiar having read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. You see, in this passage, John was using the Word to talk about Jesus. And his point is, look, Jesus has, has been around from the very beginning. The Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, has existed forever. And when we go back to Genesis 1-2, we now see the third member of the Trinity. We've seen God the Father in Genesis 1-1. We see the Son in John 1-1. Now we're going to come back to Genesis 1-2. I want to show you the third member of the Trinity. This is our God. He says... Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, who's the, the who of the grand story? Well, it's God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Each fully God, each existing forever before creation, each involved in creation because each, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all involved throughout the meta-narrative of Scripture and our lives as well. That's who God is. So what does God do? Well, back in Genesis 1-1, we see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, God created everything. From the heavens to the earth and everything in between, God created it all. Now, this is different from the ancient Near Eastern belief that Moses was confronting. You see, there was this popular belief that the gods, small g gods, they were at war. And it was out of this war, out of chaos, that the world was formed. But here Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
That is not how it went down. This, this didn't all just happen by chance. This wasn't an accident or, you know, the ripple of effect of some chaotic war. No, God very intentionally, very orderly formed the world. Moses taught of God's creation in three days of forming and then three days of filling. Check this out. We're not going to be able to read it together, but I'm just going to give you essentially verses 3 through 31. This is what happens, okay? Day one, God speaks and there's light. Day two, we got sea and sky. Day three, land and vegetation. And then in day four, God starts to fill what he had formed. Okay, so back in day one, it was light. Well, now in day four, he creates a light for the day and a light for the night. Fun fact for those of you who kind of like this kind of thing, Moses didn't use the Hebrew word, the original language he wrote this in. He didn't use the Hebrew word for sun and moon. Want to know why? Because there was a belief back then that the sun and the moon were gods, and Moses did not want any confusion for the Israelites. Those aren't gods. God is God. All right, so that's day four. Coming back, day five, he fills the sea with sea creatures and the sky with birds. And then day six, in land, we got animals and humans. This is how God created. He created very orderly. And the, the scholar, Gordon Wenham, biblical scholar, when he talks about this, I love how he says, he says, order not chaos is the hallmark of God's creative activity. Can I get an amen from my OCD friends? Like God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. Now, imagine with me what it would have been like to be an Israelite. And for as long as you know, and for the generations before you, you are just immersed in the Egyptian and Phoenician worldviews. Ra, the sun god, Khonsu, the moon god, all, you know, Egyptian astrology, the Phoenician sea god, all these different things. That's what's been your norm. And then here Moses is saying, that's not the case. Our God is the one true God. And I picture like little boys on the playground and they're like, my dad's stronger than your dad. Because Moses is correcting things. He's putting things in the proper perspective. Now, in addition to God's supremacy over his creation, creation also reflects God's goodness. I wish we had time to read Genesis 1 from start to finish. If we did, what we would read again and again after each day is, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Again and again and again until day six, where good wasn't good enough, and he said, it was very good. And we'll talk about that. I, we don't have time to read it now, but I would say this week, read Genesis 1 and just look. It's incredible how God created all that we know. Creation reflects God's goodness in that creation reflects God's power, his beauty, his order. This is why when we stand on the top of a 14er, our jaw hits the ground. Or when we're relaxing on vacation on the beach and we look out as far as the eye can see, we're just in awe. Our God created that. When you look up at the stars at night, especially if you're in the mountains, you look up at night and it's like breathtaking. God is greater. He created that. Out of nothing, he created that. Our world did not just happen by chance. God created our world and he did so in a way that it would reflect him, reflect that he is good. He is glorious. 
So who's God? Well, what we've seen so far from the first page of Scripture is that God is triune, God is the creator of everything, and God is good, and his creation reflects his goodness. This is our God, but who are we? Who are we? Well, let's zoom the lens in a little bit more towards the end of Genesis 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 28. There Moses writes, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So on day six, God thoughtfully created humanity. We're not some afterthought. That's what the ancient Near Eastern belief was, that we were, that we were an afterthought, an accident, but no, no, no. What Moses highlights is that's not the case with our God. God very intentionally, very purposefully created humanity with a very unique purpose. Every day, God looks at his creation and he saw that it was good, but when he looked at humanity, at the end of day six, it says he thought it was very good because there's something different about us. There's something distinct, something unique. And when, when scholars study this passage, what they want to talk a lot about is the image of God, or imago Dei in Latin. I think they like the Latin because it makes them look smart, personally. But what is this image of God? We read it a couple times in these passages. What is that about? Because it is central to this passage, and even more so, it's central to who we are. And there are, there are a couple nuances, grammatical nuances from the original language that can help us understand what that's about. So if you're not a linguistics person, don't worry. Just stick with me for like 30 seconds, but I promise you on the other side, it's going to be worth it. Okay? So the first thing to know is that the Hebrew word that in this passage is translated as the word in, it could actually be translated as the word as. Elsewhere in scripture, it, it often is. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's often translated as. So let's just read this passage as if that word in were translated as the word as. Let's read it together. It could, could say this, depending on how the translation committee translates this, okay? Then God said, let us make mankind as our image, as our likeness. So God created mankind as his own image, as the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Now, the second nuance here actually leads me to believe that as would probably be a more accurate translation than in for this particular Hebrew word in this particular passage, and here's why. So that word, the word that's translated image now, okay, we're like the image of God, that word image elsewhere in the Old Testament, it refers to like idols. But idols, they weren't, they weren't created in representation of God, they're created as representation of God's. We could have a whole message on why God hates idols, and it really comes down to this. God's already created representatives. The one true God created representatives. Us, we are supposed to represent God. We're, we're more than just reflections of him. We're supposed to be his representatives, his ambassadors. We, 
make known his character, his nature, his presence, where we go, we are not God. We are not God, but we are distinct. We're set apart to represent God to the rest of creation. And we are the visible representation of the invisible God. I mean, just think about that for a second. People could actually get to know God because of the way they get to know us. They're going to need to know more than us. They need to know God, but we can actually help people know God. And the crazy thing about being created as the image of God, it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, male, female, whether you're a Christian or not. It's just part of the human nature. It's part of how God created humanity. We are his image. We represent him wherever we go, to whomever we're with, whether we like it or not. So, how accurately are you representing God? Like when you look at your life, are you representing him accurately? Because whether we can't choose, uh, we don't get to choose whether we do represent him, we do influence whether we accurately represent him. So when you look at your life, are you seeking unity? Our God is, is three in one. Are, are we celebrating what's good? Because our God is good. Are you accurately representing God? The other thing about being the image of God that, that is impactful for us is that this has tied to our value. You see, our value is anchored in the fact that we are God's image. We have intrinsic value. It's not what we do extrinsically. It's who we are intrinsically. That's where our value comes. God created us in love. So there's nothing we can do to earn love. Think about that for a sec. Like that's to be so freeing for some of us. It is not our performance that makes us worthy or valuable. It's who we are, whose we are. We are his. And because we are his, we can live and move and have our being, and it doesn't have to be to earn anything. We just get to live out of who we are. In fact, the, the, uh, the image of God, it's the strongest case for human dignity. You can't make a stronger case. So the question is, what's the story that your life is telling? Like, are you scrambling to appear valuable? Are you burning the candle on both ends to seem worthy of love. I've been there and it's exhausting, but we don't have to live that way because we have a better idea of our identity now. You see, our identity comes into focus when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, and we see that we are God's image. We are to represent him wherever we go, to whomever we're with, not to earn anything, but because like an ambassador to a king, and an ambassador can represent a king to a place, where, to a place in people where the king is not because the, the ambassador has a relationship with the king. That's how the ambassador knows how to represent the king when the king is not physically present. So too, scripture says we are ambassadors, that we should, should bring the message and the hope of God to a world that doesn't know him. See, our God is great, and he invites us to make a big impact. Now, we're not God, but we represent God. This is different than the rest of creation. 
The rest of creation, it, it reflects God. We, we, we can see glimmers here and there, but, but we have a, a unique role, distinct role. Another thing that's interesting about creation, it has zero authority over us. Like whales can't tell us what to do. They just can't. That's not how God ordered things. God has given us authority as people to rule over, to steward, to care for his creation. So how's it going? Like, how are you doing? Caring for God's creation, stewarding it. I, I think having created everything and creating it good, very good, I think God would spearhead the green movement. But then again, that's why he created you and me. So what are the things that, that we need to stop doing to better care for his creation? What are the things that we need to start doing to better care for his creation? Because we're his representatives. We're supposed to make him known throughout the world. And one of the ways we can is by ruling over, by caring for his creation. All right, that's Genesis 1. Let's move to Genesis 2. Let's zoom the lens in even more, okay, and see what we have to see. All right, the, kind of how Adam is now, Adam, the first guy, he's living out what God told him to do, ruling over, caring for creation. Genesis 2.15 says it this way. Uh, God charged Adam to work it, talking about creation, and take care of it. Now, in addition to, to, to working and caring, over, you know, caring for it, Adam had a unique responsibility. He got to name the animals, okay? That was part of, you know, caring for creation. And I just, I mean, who comes up with this? Who comes up with that? God, only God comes up with a duckbill platypus. And I picture... Adam and God, they're in the garden, and God's created a duckbill platypus, and for whatever reason, today's the day that Adam gets to name it, and he's like, oh, easy, duckbill platypus. God's like, seriously, I made that thing. The best thing you can come up with is a duckbill platypus for the name. But that's what he calls it. And they're having this great, grand old time. God's walking in the garden. Things are good. His creation's good. Adam and God's relationship are good. There's no sin yet. Everything's good, right? Everything's good. Except in Genesis 2.18, we read this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. We're created for a relationship with God and we're created for a relationship with one another. And in his goodness, in his grace, God gives us a spouse. He gives us great friends. And yet, so many of us are, are living lonely. Isolation, loneliness, they're on the rise, but they are not God's design. You don't have to live lonely. You can know God, and if you still don't have a relationship with others, you're missing out. That's what this passage teaches us. It is not good for man to be alone. And my own personal experience, I found some of my best friends in church, often in a, in a group context. So if you're feeling lonely, I want to encourage you, find your people. But don't overthink it. Like, we would love to be your people. And if you'd like to get to know others in a way that rows don't allow, join a circle. We call them community groups. They meet in homes throughout the week. They talk about the same passage that we talk about on Sunday. And it's a great opportunity to both grow in your faith and also grow in friendship with others. And you know what? If the first group isn't a home run, Give it a couple tries, but if it's, if, it's not gonna, if it's not clicking for you, that's okay. We've got other groups you can try too. But don't try to follow Jesus alone. Don't try to grow in your faith alone. 
God's got a much better way for that. Now, we've covered a ton today. We've covered a ton. But if you were like, oh, I wish we could have gone deeper. There are some of you here who would like that. That's cool. We did a whole series, four-part series called In the Beginning. We actually did it to, to launch Connect. Way back when we were only doing online services in groups and homes. Uh, this was back in the COVID days. Praise God we're not in those days anymore. But back in those days, we did a series called In the Beginning. We looked at Genesis 1 and 2 for four weeks in a row. So if you want a much deeper dive into who God is, who we are, how we belong, and the purpose God has for us, check it out. It's in the app. You can easily find it there. But if you want to get the most out of this series, here's my encouragement to you. Read and reflect on the Bible passages. We're not going to be able to read everything. We're not going to be able to cover everything. And listening to me, listening to our teaching team, as flattering as that is, thank you. There's actually something you can do to level up, to grow in your faith more. You got to read scripture. You got to immerse yourself in it. And yeah, there are going to be times where it doesn't always make sense right away. But ask a question. Do a little extra research. Reach out to me. Reach out to anyone on our team. Or even better, too, connect in a community group. It's a great place where you can ask questions. There's no, there's no dumb questions in community groups. We're all trying to grow. And one of the ways we grow is by asking questions. And one of the ways we grow is actually speaking into questions others are asking. Because it shows God's goodness that we've, that we've grown, that we've learned. Now, if you want to find a group, you can do that easily in the app. You can see me after service. A lot of our group leaders are here today. I could be happy to connect you with one of them. And this is a great day to join a group because we're starting a new series. You can join any week, but this is a great week. So don't try to follow Jesus alone. Because when we try to interpret scripture on our own, what we end up with historically is heresy. But when we're in community and the Holy Spirit works in those times and in those conversations, together we grow. So connect in community group. Three, invite people along for the journey. Uh, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, we're talking about God's story and how he wants to intersect our story. And part of that is by using us to tell others about him. We're seeing the early through lines and thread lines of that even in this passage today. Like, as his representatives, that's part of who we are. Well, what I was thinking in preparation for this message is that some of us haven't grown in our relationship with God in a while because we haven't told anyone about him recently. So what could you do? Could it be a FaceTime call with someone across the country? Every week we put like the study guide in the app. What if you, I don't, it doesn't have to be local. They could be across the country. You could do it on FaceTime and you could talk about the same passage. Just as a meaningful conversation to have. Maybe it is in, an, in a context here. Maybe it's an invite to, to a service or to group. I don't know what it is, but if you haven't grown recently, it might be because you're not inviting anyone else to follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. So who can you invite? What we've learned so far is that God is triune. God is the creator of everything, and God is good. In fact, everything he creates reflects his goodness. What we've learned about who we are is that we're created as God's image. We have intrinsic value. It's not what we do that makes us worthy. It's whose we are. It, we are God's. He loves us before we do anything. And yet he invites us to live and move and have our being in a way that's impactful to others. We get to rule over his creation. We get to steward it. We're his representatives. 
We exist for a loving relationship with God and life is best lived in relationship with others. So link arms with people, maybe even right around you. Remember what Genesis 1.28 says. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. A little foretaste as to what's to come. Our greatest impact comes when we hear from God and we obey what he says. And one of the, the common threads that we're going to see throughout this whole story is that God's intent for us to have impact comes through us multiplying. We see it in the first chapter, and we're going to see it throughout. I'll share a lot more about that in messages to come. What I want you to know today is this. God created everything, uniquely creating us to represent Him everywhere to everyone. That is God's story, and that is our story too. Let me pray for us. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for what you've created. Thank you that we get to live in a place where we get to be reminded of your beauty, your power, your glory, even as we just drive down the roads each day, as we look to the mountains, as we look to the sky. You are bigger. You are greater still. We praise you. Thank you that you love us, not for anything we've done, but because you created us in love for relationship with you, for relationship with others. Would you grow us today? Would you grow us this week as we talk about this passage in our groups? And would you grow us through this series so that we don't just know scripture more? We want to encounter you. We want to experience you. And we know that you're still moving. We know that you are moving in our lives and through our lives. So we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.